0: All right, team, welcome back to the Man Talk Show, or welcome if it's your very first time tuning in. My name is Connor Beaton, and today I have a prior or a previous guest from the show and a close friend of mine, Mr. Ben Goreski, who is a counselor, a coach, and an explorer of all things consciousness. Uh, On our our previous conversation, Ben and I talked quite a bit about addiction, and that's an area that he really specializes in. and has done a lot of work with individuals on in this conversation, we are going to talk about the a few things within the current masculine culture. You know what a lot of us as men are facing within the dating world. Uh, how to have more effective relationships? How to engage in challenging conversations with your partner? How do we as men better ourselves? How do we find a deeper sense of purpose, of fulfillment? How do we push through some of the uh, obstacles and uh, challenges that we are facing as men? within our current culture and society. And so uh, we talk about some, some current events that are happening, that have been happening, and dive into how you can begin to really start to pursue a deeper sense of purpose within your life and how to confront some of these things that are happening in the world or maybe happening at home, in your community, in your household, in your relationship, or even just within yourself as a man. So I love this conversation. I always enjoy speaking with Ben, and he brings such a great perspective to what is transpiring within the minds, hearts, and lives of men. And so without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Ben Koreski. All right, Ben, welcome back to the Man Talk Show. How are you doing?
1: Connor, good to be here, man. I'm stoked to see you. I'm stoked to catch up. I was just telling you, these episodes where... it. it it feels like I'm having coffee with a friend on the other side of the world and we're catching up and, and, um, it's good to be here, man.
0: Likewise. Likewise. I was like, when I woke up this morning and I looked at my calendar and I was like, yeah, right. Ben and I are chatting today. I was like, this is great. I'm excited for this. Let's go. So we're gonna, we're gonna go, man. We're gonna go. We're gonna see where this is going to take us. But you know, it's been a little while since you were on the show. So why don't we just start with like, a, a two-minute recap of how the last sort of few months or, you know, I guess it'd be a little over a year has been in your life on, on your side.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. Last time we were on the show, I think we talked about uh, addiction quite a bit. Um, for those who didn't hear that episode, I'm a 37-year-old man. I live in Canada, uh, off now off the coast of Vancouver uh, on the West Coast. What I tend to be involved in is a lot of men's work, a lot of coaching. I do uh, coaching for addiction as well. I run groups and lead an organization uh, called the Samurai Brotherhood, which is going to be renamed really soon, folks. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> when you go to samuraibrotherhood.com, it'll go to a new site. And yeah, what's been going on in the last couple of years is is doing a lot with that organization, trying to trying to get us to a point where we can really grow. And, I, you know, I think with all our organizations there, there's this, this ski jump rise and then it sort of things can top off and then fall apart. And Mm. we're, we're working to just get to that next level building systems and uh, things like that. And in my personal life, we got out of the city. I think a lot of people uh, did that. You did that when, when COVID struck and we managed through, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean everything just went perfectly. We, we ended up with a property on Salt Spring Island uh, mm. which is a, a half day ferry ride from Vancouver. And so we have a property out here in the forest. It's quiet. We have owls and it's green and we have a wood fireplace. I love my wood fireplace. I chop wood. Mm. I it's it's been really nice. Living a little bit like Traver does, right? Like um, you know, go out and work out in my parking lot in the rain this morning, jumping around and playing music. It's it's been it's been really nice to to ground into that. And lots of work to do still. I'm standing in an empty room right now. <laughs> it's taken us more than nine months to to move in here. We won't be done for a while still uh, for a number of reasons, but yeah, life is moving forward and I've got my eye on family life in the future here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that's coming down the pipe eventually. It's something we're working on and, and yeah, you know, legacy building and how to create balance in my life as I introduce that whole new element because there are days where it's just us two. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I can, I can manage this, but I'm not sure that I can manage more than this, right? <laughs> Running a business and taking care of myself and take care of my wife. So that's, uh, that's sort of what's on the map for me these days. Never mind uh, all the external factors in the world,
0: everything that's going on. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you sharing a little bit of the updates and I hear you on the chopping wood and the wood fire. Our house is going to be done in May. So we're like two months out from moving into the house that we've been building for the last year and a half. And there's five acres of land there. And there's a wood fireplace in the living room. And I just cannot wait to chop some wood and sit in front of my wood fire (laughs) and drink some coffee in the morning. I'm like, that sounds absolutely... Phenomenal. Like, yeah. that's that's it. It's you know, just a couple moments like that with my boy running around. He's mm-hmm. almost walking, which is like, you know, for all the parents that are listening to this, they're just, they know what that's like, where they're just at that precipice where they're about to walk and they're like crawling around, but they're also using tables to walk around and... Mm-hmm. Oh, it's chaos! (laughs) Uh, A lot of things tipping uh, over, (laughs) right? Yeah, everything everything gets thrown. Like he he opens the shelves and just pulls shit out and throws it. I have I have countless photos of him, of my son having just pulled everything out of his shelf and just how he's just like sitting in this mess of like bags and pans and boxes and just you know he's just surrounded by carnage basically. But um, you you said something that I that I wanted to just, you know, sort of jump on and explore a little bit. You said, you know, life is moving forward. My life is moving forward. Yeah. Okay. Well, I love that because I think that in our current times, a lot of men are struggling to decide how to make life move forward. You know, what do I do? What do I do for me? What do I do for my career? What do I do for my, my family? You know, how do I provide? How do I protect them? you know, is the world falling apart? Is democracy ending? You know, there's there's some really big questions that I think a lot of men are grappling with. And I'm curious to get your take on a, on a couple of things. One, what are some of those existential questions that you see men really having to grapple with right now in our current times? And two, can you give any insight into how you maybe personally have started to navigate some of that territory or how you've seen other men in your life begin to navigate that territory as effectively as possible in in your opinion?
1: Yeah, I have certainly seen men uh, struggle more than normal uh, over the past couple of years. I've seen uh, more depression, more suicidal ideation. And in some ways, I think Guys don't know where that's coming from. It's just happening to them, you know? And it's mm-hmm. a consequence of being cut off from other people, social contact, all of the 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 things that make your life tick. You know, a lot of guys lost their jobs, uh, or things were moving in a certain direction, right, before the pandemic and then cut off and uh momentum shifted. And I think for men, particularly that when it's related to work or your life's mission, that can be, that's your highest risk for suicide, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, or, or for depression. And then depression is the slow slide into, into suicide. And so, yeah, I've seen that in my circles and the key is, is talking about it, getting into community, men's work, men's circles and sharing you know, in community, you know, this is, this is how humans get through hard times as we come together. And that's been the troubling thing for me through uh, the whole pandemic is that in one way or another, you've got people being told that they can't be together. (laughs) Right. And there was all this other stress, you know, about like, oh, we might die. And, you know, we're going to infect each other and a lot of fear in the media. And, you know, it's like we created, an even bigger problem for ourselves by isolating ourselves. You know, the overdose deaths, I think are up three X. So that I've been seeing that. And the biggest thing I think that, that helps guys is, is this idea of um, keeping moving forward. The brotherhood I'm a part of, we have a 14 point code. And in many ways, when you're lost, it makes sense to go look at the code. And one of the codes is gather courage and move forward, right? And really what that's speaking to is that there will be times in your life where fear is very present. Fear is dominating your mind. There's fear outside of you and there's fear inside of you. That's certainly happening right now. We're all afraid that nuclear war is around the corner, financial collapse is around the corner. or Bill Gates is telling us another pandemic is coming already. And, you know, all, all of these things, should I be prepping? And I'm not sure what for, like. <laughs> I feel, I feel like
0: so many, so many men have turned into preppers, you know, like, do you know the term prepper? Have you ever heard of that? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, dude, I feel like there were times over the pandemic where I've almost gone down a hardcore prepper path, you know, I'm like, yes. do I need a bunker?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah.
0: <laughs> And, you know, uh, you know, obviously I don't have a bunker. I mean, obviously there's there are some precautions that I think that, you know, we can all take and that's fine, but fascinating. Anyway, I just wanted to toss that in there.
1: Yeah, I actually read an interesting article from Tucker Max, uh, uh-huh. which was, I can't, I can't remember, it wasn't conscious prepping, but it was like uh, optimistic prepping or something like uh-huh. this. And he was talking about like, you know, finding a space between like, building a bunker and getting powdered egg and chicken for 25 years, putting it in there so that you can just like live in a bunker for 25 years. Like what kind of a scenario are you planning versus like, you know, realistic planning for, okay, well, like, you know, if the food supply, if we had a supply shock and the food supply went down, like, what would I do? Do I have enough? Do I know how to cook? Do I know how to hunt? Where would I get my water if the power went out and the water wasn't mm. running, you know, like, do you have a plan for that? And can you plan for that in a way that you don't go into total shutdown freeze mode? And do you think that you have to do all of it alone? Because that's, that's a big one. That's, that's one where that guys go to a lot, which is like, oh, there's a storm coming. And like, I've just got to figure out how to do it all myself. And generally that's, you will not survive. <laughs> and, mm. uh, because you can't, you can't do everything yourself um and so he talks about the most important factor being community you know what skills do you have to bring to a community and who do you know who you can trust when things get really tough and there for me there were some good things in that article that sort of pointed me towards like important things that you could build now in your life that will serve you whether the world comes to a armageddon state or not or whether there's another massive pandemic or not or or financial collapse which is, you know, inevitable, uh, or nuclear war, you know, like building community, learning how to farm, learning how to hunt, planning for emergencies, you know, having a backup plan, having a rainy day fund. Those types of things are actually really good to think about and plan for. And the most important piece being, how can I get people into my inner circle that I really trust and build good relationships with people? That's, that's actually the trickiest one, because it seems like modern folks don't know how to have conscious relationships. We don't know Mm -hmm. how to have uh, relationships with people that, that where we don't like uh, agree with each other's views completely. Right. We're really good at sort of demonizing each other right now and and putting each other into camps and then othering them. But that's a really great way to end up alone. So yeah, bit of a rant there. Um, No, I think
0: think it's good, man. I mean, all I was going to I think all I was going to add to that is we seem to have, you know, I was listening to this guy that was on the Tim Ferriss podcast, his name is Balaji Srinivasan, mm-hmm. and he was a former CTO of Coinbase, and he's on there a couple of times, and I've heard him on a few other podcasts, and I really respect what he's saying. And, you know, he said we we're entering into the civil war of reputation, mm-hmm. where online seems to have turned into this space where your reputation is going to constantly be under attack. Uh, depending on what camp you're in, right? Are you, you know, mask, anti-mask, vax, anti-vax, like all these different camps all of a sudden elicit attack from the opposing party. And what's different, what seems to be different is that it's not about your idea or your perspective being attacked. It actually now is about your reputation, your character being attacked, right? If you're pro-something or anti-something, it says something about who you are morally, and so we seem to have done something cognitively within our culture which is that we have equated single decisions as being moral indicators for human beings which is a really fucking weird thing. Mm-hmm. You know it's like you made that one decision, it's not murder, it's not you know something that we would that we would have historically said is a reprehensible and wildly immoral thing. It's that you're questioning a research paper Yep. Or you're questioning a politician and all of a sudden you're a reprehensible, you know, immoral person. Uh, so I think that that has played into it. And then I think the other side of it is that we have this really like hyper critical way of engaging with people online. When you sign up on social media now, or when you get on social media to post something on social media is to know that you're going to elicit criticism. Mm-hmm. And that everyone has a right, you know, that you as a human being suddenly have garnered the right and are entitled to criticizing anyone that you come across, specifically if they have an opposing view. So that, I think that also seems to be playing into it, which is interesting, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on on those two pieces, like the moral piece and the, and the, the criticization piece.
1: Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. Uh I have admittedly been hiding on social media in a way in terms of sharing my personal opinions around the pandemic and the mm. the rules and the way that it's how, being how dealt come? with. That criticism that you're describing. Uh mm. it 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 takes a ton of energy when you have a lot of eyes on you when you put your opinions out it can take a lot of energy to deflect or have the conversations with individuals that are really coming at you pretty hot, uh, to defuse. And, um, to be honest, when Jordan Peterson got sick, I, I was not surprised because this guy was front and center of the culture war that was happening. And he was receiving more hate than I'd seen directed at anyone in a long time. And, uh, yeah, I remember thinking to myself, like, there's no way that any one person can handle all of this, this mm. energy that's coming at them, you know. And maybe that was a projection of my own ability, to, inability to handle criticism, you know, which is admittedly something that goes on in my relationship and and that I've experienced in my life. Uh, it's something that I carry with me. But I think there's a few solutions. I think to this that a person can can take and put into their toolbox? Because like, yeah, how do you deal with a world that constantly wants to pigeonhole you and uh, pass judgment on on one statement you make on Facebook or Instagram about which protests you support? Mm. (laughs) And one is the piece that I mentioned before, which is like gather courage and move forward, right? Like make sure that you're spending more time in your life creating and generating new things than you are trying to defend and claw back your reputation or, yeah, defend yourself. Hmm. Um, I think that's really important at this time. And just being able to disregard certain criticisms if they don't matter. You know, criticisms from your wife matter. Criticisms from your family matter. Criticisms from somebody you've never met (laughs) in your YouTube comments. Yeah, at some level, that doesn't matter. I mean, you can choose to make it matter and you can choose to engage if you want, if you have the energy, but like you don't need to make that matter. What matters more is what you're doing with your life and how you are moving your life forward and how you are creating something, even if that's just a smile in someone close to you. And the other piece that I wanted to mention is that I think, you know, how can we train ourselves to deal with the, the, the reputation war? I really do feel like these principles of conscious relationship that we've talked about a couple of times. I've talked about them a few times and I know you have. Learning the principles of conscious relating, how to have a relationship with someone who is bringing you some fire, you know, or is projecting something on you. Says they don't feel safe because you said this thing or that, you know, then represents this other thing for them. How do you hold space for someone and listen to them instead of launching a counterattack? which is (laughs) that's my unconscious way of dealing with criticism counterattack, right um or or flee and so i did (laughs) as as uh energy intensive as it was when i posted recently about i posted two instagram stories about the trucker protest because i was like this actually i there's a part of me that really this warms my heart Mm. and i knew that that there was also this uh you know there were swastikas there and that the 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 guy who apparently started it was a was a part of this far right wing party which you know is always associated with um uh some version of nazism mm-hmm. and uh, but you know I was speaking from my heart you know and then people launched at me like racism you're supporting racism i don't feel safe and uh I engaged a few people and just tried to listen to them and say like, yeah, like, yo, I, I am not down for, I'm not a Nazi fan. I'm not a racism fan. I, if this movement truly is hateful, I am not down for that. I just want mm. you to know that. And just like listening to them, like, yeah, what is it? What is it that's triggering you? And, and I felt good ending all those conversations on a good note. Nobody was like, okay, well, I'm done with you. Unfollow. There were a few people that did that off the bat. They made the judgment mm-hmm. and then they left, right? Mm-hmm. But the people that I talked with, it ended respectfully. And for me, that was a win because I was like, okay, this, you know, we won we won the war today. right? Know? We won the battle of divisiveness today by but just it, having some conversations.
0: But isn't that so interesting and so fascinating that to put out... You know, and I'm sure that some of this comes along with the perceived social responsibility of having a larger following, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think as as soon as you kind of get up above the 5,000 person mark, you know, which seems to be, that's the cap on Facebook, right? You can only have 5,000 people, 5,000 friends. And so, you know, I think as soon as you get up above that, like 10, 20, 30, 40,000, there seems to be this social expectation that you should adhere sometimes to a certain ideology. Like, and there seems to be this big movement ag- against the like wellness community in some capacity because I've, I've also noticed something interesting happening within the wellness community, right? Within the yoga space, the coaching space, You know, you have the pandemic happen and all of a sudden people like really did a hard right or a hard left, Mm -hmm. you know, and got more and more polarized. And so I, I kind of sat back and I appreciate you and Shay for a number of reasons because you kind of kept center, you know, like I didn't, I didn't watch your platforms go into hyper politicized conversation or, you know, taking these massive stances, which I think it's also important to have these places, even if it's just in the digital reality, that are free of the constant polarized rhetoric and badgering that seems to have completely uh, inundated our modern news cycle and social media spaces. And so it's almost to like, you know, it's almost to like have like a lighthouse or a harbor you know, that's how I've tried to treat my my platform It's like, I'm just going to keep talking about what it means to be a better man, you know, to be a good husband and a good father, an exceptional leader in the world. And you can go and make your decisions from that place, but to be a harbor from this sort of, you know, insanity and, and chaos that seems to have emerged. But I had one question about the criticism that I want to come back to. Before I do that, I do actually want to get your perspective on, The kind of rise within the social media space, I don't know if you observed what I was talking about, but of people within the therapeutic, psychological, spiritual, health and wellness space, all of a sudden becoming conscripted in this like political narrative warfare, you know, like I, like JP Sears is an interesting, you know, sort of. Uh, observation for me I really liked his stuff and then not slowly but like (laughs) in a heartbeat he was all of a sudden just like posting all kinds I was like whoa what happened like what are you like what are you talking about all of a sudden and so he Mm -hmm. you know he he went from poking fun at things to all of a sudden taking a really hard stance um, for something and against something and it Mm -hmm. became very politicized. And so I'm curious to get your take on like, have you observed that? Why do you feel like that's happening? Why is it that the wellness space of all spaces has become this sort of breeding ground for highly politicized conversation and, and opinion sharing?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I have seen that. And, um, I am aware that there is a crew in Austin <laughs> and we are friends with some of those people um, and they the, the all hang them. out together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they all hang out together and they influence each other. But I don't think it's Austin's fault necessarily. I think in some ways I feel like it's uh, it's what filters down when there is chaos in the society, when, yeah, when things are starting to sort of break apart, you know? When things are going smoothly, everybody's doing their job and they're doing entertainment and music and podcasting, you're doing what you're doing personal growth wise. And then the wheels start to come off and all of a sudden it seems like what you're doing isn't as important as like, hey, like my basic human rights are being infringed upon here uh, or like we're being controlled or we're being funneled down towards a um, social credit system, right? Like I've, I've been, I've seen this stuff as well. And I think it it can be easy for, for that stuff to trump your work, you know? And in JP's case, I might say like, well, maybe JP's following was floundering and his, his like old tricks were not, you know, landing so well anymore. And he wanted to like level up and, Mm. and start talking more about current events which is also what Russell Brand started, right? He's like, Hey, I'm going to create a YouTube channel. All of a sudden he's got like 5 million mm-hmm. subscribers. So I get the strategy and it makes some sense, but I, so I don't have all the the answers to that, but I, I, I do think that it's sort of, it filters down when chaos is happening. You know, people start mm-hmm. to get out of their seat and, and try to find another one or like uh, try to solve the, solve the trouble. And I've been doing kind of the same thing that you've been doing, which is like, I've not been avoiding sharing my opinions on social media just because I'm scared of criticism. It's also because when I make the decision about where to put my energy in the day, I'm like, okay, do I create something that, that serves my, my people, uh, the way that they expect from me? And like, I know I have more to give them. Do I, do I give them that thing or do I like pivot? and change directions and and jump into the chaos with everyone else. And I've learned not to do that in my life. And I've learned um I've learned that the king particularly doesn't do that. And mm-hmm. I've really been trying to work on the the king archetype. The king is not the king stays grounded while everybody's freaking out so that he can make clear decisions and he 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 may change his tone or change his direction slowly, but he does so very mindfully. And um, I respect that you've been doing that. I, you've been continued to crank out content. You've been writing and just keeping the message going because people still need to hear this stuff. People still need, uh, you know, man talks content. You know, men still want to rise and, and they actually need to ground and to center and to, and to come into themselves and to not be drawn into all the craziness that's happening out there. Right. Mm. So I do respect that. I've seen in ceremony, I've seen this in ceremony. Um, I've sat in ayahuasca ceremony a lot. And sometimes it's, it feels like the walls are melting and people, you can feel the other people in the room kind of freaking out because mm-hmm. like something's going on. There's this like weird telepathic thing that happens sometimes. And I've had moments where like, I see like the scariest thing I've ever seen over top of the shaman who's singing to the guy. And I see the shaman and hes he, I just see his little silhouette and he's just like singing, just rocking, like he's singing a freaking lullaby while there's a demon in the room and talk to them afterwards and been like, how do you, like, did you see that? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> it's like, how do you like do what you're doing when this thing is like basically trying to eat you? And it's, it's paralyzed me. Like I couldn't move. And he's like, I just, you just sing your song, man. When the darkness is closing in, you hold your candle and you burn through that thing like a laser and you just carry your song, Mm. you know, and and he made some analogies to, to sort of Christ archetype as well, which felt quite applicable at the time. And Mm. I was like, oh yeah, that, that's the king, right? Just like stepping forward, walking forward through the dark with your song, singing your song, no matter what. You know, mm-hmm.
0: I feel like that just that deserves a, a pause there for a moment, you know, just to let that sort of sink in. It's just, I think it's incredibly, incredibly true. And I think it's wildly challenging. You know, like my Vienna and I have had a number of conversations on this because I find myself I've been the same as you. Like I've wanted to create this steady path forward. You know, this is the direction that we're going. I'm not going to engage in this chaos but then there's times where the warrior in me is like, battle, go fuck <laughs> shit up, you know, like yeah. go get into this and and like because I have that strong like warrior nature in me that just wants to go and fight and like pick a side and double down and dig my heels in and go, you know. And but I know that that's I there's a part of me through through my own past, through my own history, through my own ceremonies as well. That's just like that is not is in my perspective what is required right now mm-hmm. you know what's required is the capacity to like hold the ground of coherence you know in some ways and so i think part of i think part of our ability as men to stay grounded and to create coherence however especially relationally let's bring this back to the individual man is to be able to receive criticism in our relationships and I'm with you, brother. Like I struggle with this sometimes. So what, where do you see men really struggling to receive criticism and what's, what's your journey been? What where, where do you lean on when you receive some criticism within your relationship? And, um, let's just kind of go down this path. Cause I feel like it's, it's, it's a big thing for a lot of men who are in, in relationships and they're like, yes, I'm good until she criticizes me in some capacity or I'm good, but she criticizes me a lot. And I just, I can't deal with it. You know, I don't know how to, how to deal with it. it wears me down. You know, I hear men talking about this all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'll just give you the the floor there to riff
1: on that. Man, Shay and I started watching this show. Love is blind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, us too. I want to do a video on it. It's freaking <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> so terrible uh, it's terrible it's uncomfortable season two yeah I didn't watch season one but uh we've been checking out season season two and it's a reminder of like the the fundamental flaws that so many of us are given in in dealing with relationships and yeah receiving criticism you know like watching this one guy on the show freeze up when the woman on the other side of the wall asks him like hey are you like dating multiple women like I'm a little bit confused here. He freezes up. He goes into damage control. He's like, oh, oh, "Why are you even asking that question?" Like, and then freaks out, leaves the room, tries to leave the show. And mm-hmm. I'm sure they have therapists on the show, and they convinced him to stay. And as immature as that guy in particular is, I see so much of myself in him. Right, like so much of me in my 20s. As soon as there was any hint of criticism from a, a woman that I was dating. I would lash out. I would lash out in some way. I would try to confuse her or dominate her or kick her out of the house. Or I wasn't able to just sit and try to understand what it is that she was, she was trying to say. So I think modern men lean two ways when they're receiving criticism from, from a partner, they roll over on their own needs and they just say yes and okay. And I'm sorry these like really shallow I'm sorrys I'll do better next time they they go the nice guy route or they uh they go some version of that sort of counterattack stab and run <laughs> thing that I used to do right and um in both cases both people aren't heard nothing gets resolved there's a blow up and it either ends the relationship or it just sort of gets swept under the rug and um yeah there there's just you just pile those things on top of each other. you end up with a big shit pile uh mm-hmm. to try to deal with in your relationship and and that's harder to deal to deal with than the smaller conversations that you don't know how to have. and so where I've learned to lean is first of all learn about nice guy syndrome. learn about saying yes when you mean no and learn how to assert yourself and say like, yeah, you know like this is something that I want something that's important to me, learn how to ask for what you want, learn, how, learn how to ask for affection. That's a big one. And learn how to sort of set boundaries and say like, Hey, this is, this is something that I want. This is something that I don't want. This is something that hurts my feelings. And and then stand your ground in that and and listen to the other person. So that's the nice guy piece. And then the, the, the jerky stab and run side is learn to sit in the fire and not die because it's not going to kill you and actually try to understand the other person rather than worrying about you and, and how you're being misrepresented or misunderstood. That's always been my things like, Oh, you're, well, you're not, you're misunderstanding me. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm misunderstanding her as well in that moment. (laughs) Like I usually jump to, you're not, you're not understanding me like pretty quick. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like I've repeated back to her what she said and like really tried to get it. I'm jumping to my own conclusions. So learning what is holding space. I used to think that wasn't a thing. Learning to sit and hold space and listen to someone and try to understand what's behind their words. What, what are they feeling behind what they're saying to me? What's really important to them? How does this even tie back to their childhood? You know, this unmet need that they're bringing to me that maybe I don't want to feel responsible for, but this is what it means to be in relationship. So yeah, understanding nice guy stuff and and how to assert yourself and also understanding how to hold space and just shut up, just be quiet and, and, and practice being curious and listening to the other person rather than trying to argue your point or make yourself feel understood. And part of that comes from getting secure enough in yourself that like you feel like you understand you, you mm-hmm. know, you, I get me, I love me. And so like when someone's bringing some heat, I'm not just like, Tipped over, like a like I was on like a balancing on a ledge here. You know, I'm just like, oh, okay, like, yeah, you've got you got you got a bone to pick with me. Okay, let's let's hear it. You know, that's the king. Like it doesn't get tipped off his throne <laughs> when somebody throws a throws a little twig at him, right? So that's that's where I lean. Yeah.
0: Mm, yeah, really, really well said. I mean, I think it's interesting because where and when we receive criticism as men, I feel is often a good place for us to implement tools of regulation, right? Like that's in those moments where we have to regulate our nervous system, Mm -hmm. where we have to tune into like, oh, I want to punch a hole in the wall or, oh, I want to run away or I want to shut down or I want to talk to this person now for a few days. And so I find that in those moments, that's where we get to practice what we talk about in terms of staying grounded and staying regulated and Yeah. I mean, my, my wife has a lot of fire, you know, and in the beginning I was like, what is this? Like, (laughs) what is going, you know? And so, and so I had to learn how to stay grounded and sometimes receive criticism and and then also to be able to like, know how to work with it or like, you know, tussle with it a little bit and be like, Oh, you're really spicy right now. Hey, like, Uh you know it's like yeah. that's a lot of you're bringing a lot of heat my way like you want a barbecue <laughs> like what's going on you know and, and and so i have you know i kind of like adopted this modality of like being able to like tussle with her energy when she's in that space and rather than personalizing it and i don't always get it right by any means mm-hmm. but i i am this was in the same boat where for me growing up criticism led to you know, led to real shaming, you know, and sometimes verbal or, or emotional abuse, and on the odd occasion, physical abuse, you know, and so I always saw criticism as like a threat, and it was deeply shameful. And so I'm curious, like, do does your, I, I think in your words, I think you used a, a sort of avoidance of criticism, but has your avoidance in, of criticism in the past had an origin? Like, is there a place that it came from in your,
1: in your upbringing? Oh yeah. 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 I had a lot of energy as a young guy and, um, didn't know where to put it, didn't know, didn't know where to put it. And my parents didn't know how to emotionally regulate. And so they didn't know how to teach myself and my brother to emotionally regulate. My brother is highly emotional. And so you can imagine what happened with him. He was like, it constantly on medication for ADHD, put in institutions ended up in jail because it was just lashing out at the world. And then in rehab, and I followed similar, similar path. We, we were actually in rehab at the same time. And yeah, I really do see that lack of emotional regulation as, as being the cause. And so I was, I felt like I was constantly criticized as a, as a kid for my behavior, for the things that I was saying, uh, for how I was showing up in school, for how I was showing up at home uh but mostly at home i was like felt my my memory is that i was just like constantly in trouble and in contracts for my behavior trying to control my behavior which is why i'm so freedom oriented now as an adult <laughs> so i spent my childhood in contracts and drugged up so it's similar origins for me is like if there's anything wrong with my behavior or how i'm coming across to Shalina it's a flashback to my childhood about Mm. you know Ben's not performing properly so yeah same thing and so for you early on in your relationship what did with Vienna what did you what was your coping mechanism that you would do would you like flee or would you fight back or I I escalated escalated yeah
0: yeah. I would I would escalate so I would like well, at at first I was just, I was confused. So it was a little bit of freezing, you know, cause I was like, wait, how come you're coming at me like so intensely right now? I don't understand right. what, like there's, there was a huge discrepancy for me of the, what I was receiving and what had happened, mm-hmm. you know, like I would not rinse a fork and put it in the dishwasher. And that would, that was like nuclear on her end, you know? And right. I was like, what is this, you know? Yeah. And so at first The first little while, it was just freezing and trying to figure out, like, what the fuck is going on? And then after that was, I would go straight into combating, you -hmm. know, and that's what my stepdad and I would do, right? So he he had a very short temper, but he was my primary caregiver. And so he and I would get in these, like, we would lock horns and get into these battles and it would just escalate, you know, and soon he and I would be yelling at, at one another and then, you know, occasionally that led to physical violence. Right. And so with her, we would get into like these very sort of intense engagements in the beginning where I was just like, I don't understand what you're so pissed off about, like try and explain this to me. Mm -hmm. And of course I would go into this like rationalization of explain yourself, you know, like how does this make any sense? (laughs) Which, which in hindsight was like the last thing that I should have done, you know, or I would try and defend myself. Like, How are you, or, or, or diminish her experience, you know, like, how are you so upset about an unwashed fork? You know, Mm -hmm. like what's going on? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so those are the things that I would, that I would go to.
1: Mm -hmm. Question though, Mm -hmm. what's better in terms of an outcome, the total dissociation being like, I don't like the playing it cool. Like, I don't know, babe, like, I don't know what you're freaking out about versus like engaging with her about it and having a little bit of a tussle.
0: Oh, engaging. Again, yeah, you know, I found right. like, yeah, I had to engage to understand. What helped me also was like seeing her in that conflict cycle with her parents, and actually like objectively viewing it, but definitely yeah. engaging. What about you?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I mean, th- th- there's been plenty of times where I try to check out, and I get kind of dismissive of her if I'm if I'm like if I can't rationalize like what this is about. I'm like I don't know, babe. Like you're gonna have to deal with that on your own. I'm just I'm I'm just not gonna be a part <laughs> of this. Uh, this argument right now by um dismissive abandonment like that she would fume uh she wouldn't continue to come at me but internally it was that was way more damaging for her than if i if i just got into the muck with her and got unrealistic and emotional and had a bit of a tussle Mm -hmm. because then we could like we could have a little a little bang and then afterwards be sit and talk and do the repair, which is really important. You can't just have the bang and then, and then not have the repair. And of course the best case scenario is, is to do neither of those things. Like don't redline myself, don't check out completely, but like turn towards her, open my chest and like really like engage with her about the thing until I've reached my limit or we reach until I'm sensing we're reaching our limit and we need some time and then Mm -hmm. put her, take her to a close um, we had, we had one when we were in Mexico while I was driving and we started getting into it Worst time, and, and I was like defending myself from the side, you know, but at, while also trying to hear her, you know, but like, I was like, this is not, <laughs> this is not going well. Cause I can't turn towards her and just like, listen, I'm like trying not to crash. So I, I had to shut it down and then we, we brought it back up 24 hours later. So keep learning those things was uh helpful because what my parents used to do was pull the car over and kick me out of the car that's what used to happen for when when things got hot in the car it was like get out of the car they just kick us out wherever we were if it was the winter didn't matter we were we were kicked out and that's a place that my unconscious self would go with my wife if i was totally unhinged Mm. so um (laughs) i'm glad yeah
0: yeah no i mean i feel like um I'm curious have you found that engaging in the tussle like engaging in the in the conflict to some degree like what's that done for your relationship to your anger because I think that for a lot of men they avoid the conflict they avoid the tussle with their partner because they're afraid of their own anger you know they're afraid mm-hmm. of losing it or not being able to control themselves in some capacity so I'm curious on that
1: Yeah good question so you know this even better than I do, that that what we reject and repress controls us from behind. So that total avoidance of anger means that your anger is going to be more and more of an estranged enemy where you're putting it in your mind, that when it does come up, it will control you because you don't understand its moves, you don't understand how to control it. And so in shadow work, we practice getting into anger. And... This is one of the things that I saw transform guys when I first joined uh, my first men's group is guys just getting into the angry anger space together, sometimes screaming in each other's faces, sometimes pressing into each other and and getting a little bit wrestly when when there's some anger coming through a guy, you know, we hold some space and he pushes into it and just some screaming and, and then he stands there and feels it in his body and he feels anger in a safe space and he learns to build a relationship with it so he can modulate it you know, actors are very good at this. You know, they can just embody joy and then they can embody anger. And there's, I think there's something, um, something there for all of us to learn, right? Is Is to be able to embody this stuff in a place where we're able to sort of steer a little bit. And so I think when I'm at my best and she's bringing some heat and it is activating some stuff in me, I'm able to sit there or stand there and say, you know what, this, this does make me angry. I Mm. feel angry because I feel like this is about this, but it's really about this, or I feel misunderstood, or I've Mm. worked really hard over here and I feel, I feel not valued. You know, what, when you bring this up at this particular time, you know, and while saying that, um, being mindful that I am practicing embodying my anger with her and that like consciously i'm I, my consciousness is still there trying to steer. Mm. And the more i practice that the more i'm able to actually bring that in the relationship and express authentically without punching holes in the walls. And i think that's what every guy wants. He wants to be able to embody his anger and and um use it in a healthy way because we know that we need our anger sometimes. It's it it's there for a reason. It's not it's not to just be set aside on a shelf, uh, cause there may be a day truly where we need to say no and Mm. we need to stand up for ourselves, you know, and that may be in our relationship or politically or, or what have you. So practice.
0: Yeah, that's, that's well said, man. I feel like you and I could go down the rabbit hole into embodiment. I think we'll maybe have to do that for part two. I don't understand how this conversation went by so quickly.
1: <laughs> it does, it does either, feel like man.
0: we sat down for coffee and I'm like, oh shit, with the, like we got to we gotta end the call. But I, I think just to reflect back some of the practical things about what you were saying there when it comes to engaging in the tussle of, of conflict or um, uncomfortable conversations within the relationship, some of the things that I heard you say that I think are very practical for the men listening to this is... Facing your partner to the best of your capacity, having an open chest, right? So, tuning into your body language, connecting with the breath, and being able to. I think the word that you used was modulate, which I think is really wonderful, you know, because I think for a lot of men, they hear the word embodied and they're like, what, you know, what the hell does that even mean? Um, But I think in some ways, what I hear you saying is like, you still want to be able to drive the vehicle of you, even when there's stress or you know a hard conversation that's happening. So outside of the you know, face the person that you're engaging, have an open chest, an open body, not in an intimidating way, but in a way that you're feeling your heart, you're feeling your body, you're feeling the emotions underneath that, you're breathing. Any other just sort of tactical pieces that you would like to end with there when a man receives criticism and he wants to shift his response to that criticism?
1: Mm-hmm. The thing that works best for me is to focus outside of myself while while staying like you know everything you just you said is is about like getting grounded in yourself, connect to your body, feeling your heart, feeling your seat in the chair. Like, okay, I'm here, I'm safe, I'm fine. Right, that's self regulation, and then get out of your own self centered. I'm waiting to talk here and get my point across, and get into. What's going on for the other person? How are they experiencing this right now? it also it also really helps when you're public speaking you know anybody who's who's had some nerves public speaking once you get up and you you think about the audience and like oh, okay, how can I talk to this guy in the audience rather than like oh here's me on a stage right now I'm so nervous what if I fuck up? right there's that like inner loop that you can really get stuck on that's that's sort of anxiety and fear-based get curious about the other person that's i think the number one thing is like try to figure out what it's like to be them empathize with them there's been many times where i'm in a, a conflict with my partner and she's like the the issue right now is that i don't feel you feeling me like you're just like waiting to talk or trying to reason with me and I don't think you've taken a half a second to really drop into what it must be like to feel this way. And that's mm. what I'm looking for. <laughs> and I love that she's so eloquent and able to say that. Cause like in those moments, I'm like, okay. Uh, okay. I can't fight that. Like <laughs> you just made that yep, really clear. Right. <laughs> yeah. So curiosity about the other person, it's like, we're all infected with this sort of like narcissistic self-centeredness that, that is bred into us by the current way that we do life. <laughs> we're all looking at reflections of ourselves all the time. Um, and so being genuinely curious about what it's like to, to be in the other person's body and be in their experience, I think is the is the best thing for getting a guy into that sort of space holding space.
0: Wonderful, beautifully said. Thank you so much, Ben. Uh, For everyone that's out there listening to this conversation, man it forward, share it with somebody that you know will enjoy the conversation and check out Ben's work. We'll have all the links to his profiles in the comments below. But Ben, anywhere specifically that you would like people to go to follow along on your journey and
1: your insight. So I have a podcast, the Evolving Man Podcast, and if you know, I'm most active on Instagram. But my website is that what really has the content of the you know the work that I do. There's two things I've created in the last year. One is a men's course, sort of an intro to men's work. Here's the basic things that you can uh, you know, 29 videos of me talking about some of the concepts that we've talked about here. Some worksheets to work through. So that's called The Integrated Man. And coming up in April, I'm launching what's called the Conscious Relationship Council. Group mm. of 30 guys, myself and, and Nick Solacek are going to take a group of 30 guys live through all the relationship content that Nick and I know that we've learned over the years from all of the masters. And we're downloading that into this group of guys over 12 weeks. And i um, really excited about that. We've got I've got an Evolving Man app now. And, uh, so we're connecting guys. Whenever I do a program, we connect the guys in the app and they, they can stay in communication for as long as they want after the program. So that's on the site too. And, um, yeah, thanks Connor for having me on the show. I really appreciate it.
0: Awesome brother. So good to see you and for everyone else out there. Thank you so much for tuning in until next week. This is Connor Beaton signing off.